welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 1211 First Avenue North on the third floor. The three kings who came from the Orient or from Persia, excuse me. (coughs) And so normally we think of all of those people together at the manger. The problem is, is that just wasn't the case. Uh, the wise men didn't show up until about two years. Um, there together in one night, hanging out in a happy nativity. That makes for a nice thing to put on your mantle. Just historically, that's not entirely accurate. And to sort of mark the time, to show that there was time that took place between Jesus' birth and the wise men showing up, we have time between Christmas and Epiphany. I'm sorry, I'm probably going to have to be drinking a lot of water today. <clears throat> you'll, you'll be able to deal with it. Thank you, Liz. Um, so, there's an interesting question, though, that all of this about Epiphany, besides being a nice little historical idea, brings up. Why is it we are so quick behind? Why is it that, like, on the 27th of Christmas, we're done? Done with Christmas. (coughs) Excuse me. Why is it that Target, on the 27th of Christmas, if you went in, guess what their whole, that whole, like, changeable back section was? Valentine's Day, right? I mean, it was already candies and cards and boxes of chocolates, right? I mean, there was no time. Boom. Move on to the next thing. And this is true of, like, all the culture. We are really quick to be like, okay, I'm looking forward to Christmas. I can't wait for Christmas. I can't wait for Christmas. Okay, great. I'm glad that's done. We're done. Let's move on. We're done. Christmas is over, Right? Why? Well, for one, it's exhausting, right? Most of us probably went to more than two places on Christmas. If you spent your whole Christmas day in one place, you're probably the exception, not the rule. Whether that's multiple different families, whether that's a family party and a friend's party, whatever that is, we're going around. And not only is it exhausting, Christmas is expensive. As a culture, we have decided that we need to spend a lot of money on Christmas. And so it's about this time of year that those credit card receipts start showing up in our mail, and we look at them and go, I made some terrible decisions. I need to sign up for Financial Peace University. (laughs) Which you do. If you'd like more information, you can see Greg and Kristen after the service. But seriously, it's really good and helpful. But no, Christmas is expensive. And so between the expense and the exhaustion and all of this of Christmas, we are really quick to want to move on. But I think there's another reason. Another reason why we're quick to move on for Christmas is because we don't quite know what to do with Jesus when it's not Christmas or Easter. Like, like we can imagine baby Jesus. Baby Jesus in the manger. Right, with, with all the, the beautiful things going on around him that we imagine it was like. And we can imagine 
Good Friday and Easter Jesus. Jesus who was hung on a cross. Jesus who rose from the dead. And if we stretch our minds, we can even imagine Jesus the teacher and healer who we read about in the Gospels. But this idea that Jesus was a human and stayed a human and that there was no fast forwarding, right? That Jesus wasn't a baby and then poof, he was 12 years old and then poof, he's 30. We read about all the things he does and then he dies, comes back to life and goes back to heaven, right? We, there was no fast, there's fast forward buttons in the Bible because he doesn't tell us all of those things but we don't quite know what to do with a Jesus who needed to be potty trained, do we? We don't quite know what to do with God going through puberty, do we? See, we can't imagine what Jesus was doing in between all of those stories that we read about in the Bible. And the reason we can't understand that is because we don't really wrap our minds around the idea that he was fully human. To mention terms like potty training and puberty in the same sentence as Jesus, for most of us, sounds a bit odd. And yet, are those not, like, categorically exactly what we are, as humans have to go through? Let me take this a step further. What's Jesus doing right now? No, 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 really. In your mind, don't answer out loud, because it'll probably be embarrassing for you, because it's embarrassing for me to answer this question. But what is Jesus doing right now? In 2018? Okay, here's what probably is scanning through your mind, because here's what's scanning through your mind. Uh, he's alive. And he's in heaven. For most of us, that's about all we've got. Is Jesus still a human? I think the answer to that question is yes. I know Justin probably wants me to say yes to that question. But I've never really thought about that. We don't really think about Jesus in terms of the way that his humanity keeps going. That he stays human. It's, it's a part of who he is. And not only that, we ignore what Jesus is doing right now. And when we ignore what Jesus is doing right now, we miss out on the comfort and help that we can have in him. Here's what I want to do. I want to read to us a passage out of Hebrews where the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us about why Jesus being human still matters today and walk through that together. So if you would, I'm going to read the last few verses of Hebrews chapter 2. Stand with me as we hear God's word together. Since therefore... Children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. 
For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. City Church, this is the word of God, written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. So Jesus, <clears throat> sorry. So Jesus' humanity matters. And Jesus' humanity is a big deal. And this writer, the writer of Hebrews, is walking through and it's showing, the whole point of the book of Hebrews is to show how great Jesus is. And so along the way he's pointing out, this is why Jesus is great. He's better than angels. This is why Jesus is great. He's better than other high priests. This is why Jesus is great. He's better than any friend you've had. And he comes to start this uh, set of verses for us, and he begins to say, this is what Jesus has done for us. This is what makes Jesus great. He has conquered fear and death and Satan and has made us his people. He has become for us his high priest. It's interesting in that first section there uh, of the verses that we read that he talks about how Jesus had to become man so that he may overcome the devil. Now this is something we don't talk about much as a church, right? When, when we hear people talking about the devil, it, we, we normally sort of associate that with sort of an, a, an old-time religion, right? We're, we're sophisticated city folk, right? We don't, we don't talk about demons, right? We, we know that our computer is messing up because we have a virus, not because the computer's got a demon. Right, and, and we sort of have closed our minds to the idea of spiritual and supernatural things. And the same thing is true when we come to the topic of the devil. We've closed our minds off to that idea. And I'm not going to get into all of that and what consequences that has in our life today. One, because I don't have the voice to get into all that. But two, because I think there's something more important going on here. It's interesting that he begins to talk about how he overcame the power of the devil. He overcame fear of death because that fear of death had made us slaves. You see, the devil isn't in control of death. Ultimately, God is. So what is the writer of Hebrews trying to get at when he sort of groups these ideas of fear and death and slavery all together? I think the best way to explain it is to ask this question. What are you most afraid of? I don't mean like spiders, right, or lizards, or something like that. I don't mean like what scares you. No, no. I mean, what are you afraid of? What's the thing you don't want to think about? The thing that keeps you up at night. The thing that wakes you up early. 
Because what's interesting is, whatever the answer to that question is, that thing that you are most afraid of, is ironically the thing that enslaves you. Let me show you how this works. If the thing that scares you and terrifies you the most is death, what are you going to spend every waking moment of your life doing? You're going to be trying not to die. You're going to be spending every ounce of your energy to be healthy, to eat right, to make sure you don't put yourself in any risky situations, right? You're going to be living your life around not dying. But let's put this in another term. For some of us, our greatest fear, the thing that we are absolutely terrified of, is being embarrassed, being shamed, and failing. And so what do we do? We do absolutely everything in our power. Absolutely everything in our control not to feel that way. No one is going to outwork me. No one is going to make me feel like a failure. I will take control of my life. What happens? When our whole goal in life is to not feel that failure again, what do we do? We become slaves to the hard work, don't we? Our whole life begins to circle around this idea of, I'm not going to feel that again. Maybe it's not failure or shame that you're so afraid of. Maybe it's your loved ones getting hurt. So what happens? How does being protective of your loved ones become slavery? Everything you do is centered around their security. Right? Everything you do is centered... Oh, no, 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 no. Make sure your seatbelt's on. Right? This, this, is, this is us parents. This is us parents when we get out like the ruler to make... Oh, no, I'm sorry. You still need to be in that booster seat because you are 47 and a half inches tall and you're not allowed to be out of the booster until you're 48 inches tall. And if you're not in the booster, you're going to die. Right? As parents, we... Right? That irrationality that if you've been around a parent, especially a first-time parent, you know about... Right? You have seen the irrationality, especially of first-time parents. You know how that can enslave them. When we're trying and chasing, not failing, it's the same thing. It's just harder for us to see. Because our culture glorifies it, doesn't make it look ridiculous. For others of us, our greatest fear is that we won't be loved or that we won't be loved again. And so we are absolute slaves to other people's opinions. You see, what's interesting is that the power of the devil to enslave us is trickier than we think it is. We make New Year's resolutions and we think that our sinful problems are those little habits that we made New Year's resolutions about last week. When in reality, our real problem is actually deeper. It's seated in our heart. It comes from our 
fears and it enslaves us to try to chase them. And this is true for us, whether we are Christian or not. Those of us who are Christians know what it is to continue to experience those sort of fears and to live as slaves to them. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, the question is, do you know that same feeling? Because whether we're Christian this morning, whether we have grown up in the church or not, the solution to both of these things, to the writer of Hebrews and for us this morning, is actually the same thing. It is actually Jesus becoming man. And Jesus becomes man and is tempted in the same ways that you and I are. Jesus was tempted just like us. And he wasn't just tempted to do wrong things. You see, a lot of us like to think, oh, Jesus was tempted to murder somebody. And he didn't. Because, you know, most of us are batting a thousand on murdering. And we don't think it's that big of a deal that Jesus didn't murder anybody. Jesus wasn't just tempted to do wrong things. Jesus was tempted in all of the subtle ways that you and I are tempted in our hearts. To get what we want. You know, it's interesting. Um, in the recovery community, one of the things they talk about a lot is HALT, H-A-L-T. Uh, that when you're tempted uh, to relapse into an addiction, uh, it's oftentimes when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Think about that in your life with your own sinful patterns. How many times does it happen when I'm hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? We even have invented, in the past five years, we've invented a word for one of these things, right? For, for kind of the two of them, the first two, right? Hangry. Hangry is a fantastic word because how many fights have I had? How many fights have I started because I'm hangry? And look at me, I'm the kind of guy that gets hangry on a regular basis. When Jesus came to earth and he was tempted, Jesus was tempted. Satan came to him after Jesus had been fasting by himself in the desert for 40 days and nights. That's when Satan came to tempt Jesus. What do you think Jesus was after 40 days of fasting? Do you think he's a little hungry? Angry, I don't know. That, that one would probably be a stretch if I implied it. But lonely and tired. If you've ever fasted for more than a little bit of time, you know how tiring it is. So Jesus is tempted when he is hungry, lonely, and tired. And does Satan come to him and say, Hey, here's your worst enemy. Just kill him. Or does he come to Jesus with more subtle things? Right? Look. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you just, for one second, worship me. If you just accomplish a good goal the wrong way. Jesus, if you just throw yourself off the temple, God has to rescue you. Why don't you just put God to the test? See, Jesus, even when he was hungry, possibly angry, lonely, and tired, 
overcame temptation. The reason why was not just so that he could live a perfect life. The reason Jesus overcame this temptation is so that he could walk with us, so that he could be our priest when we are going through the same thing. You see, Jesus is our priest. He's not our guru. As a culture, we have a good idea about what gurus are. They show up on our social media feeds all the time. And whether their name is Gary or Brene or Rich, they're out there and they give us advice on how to live down here. Now, oftentimes it's helpful. What they have to say is good, not hating on them, but oftentimes they are completely apart from us. And the difference between a guru who has just given you advice from out there and a priest is where they live. A priest is there with you. A priest is in your town. A priest is going through what you are going through. And the beauty of Jesus continuing to be a man is that he knows exactly what it's like what you're going through and walks with you through it. it. He finishes up by talking about how Jesus, as our high priest, does two things for us. He, he gives us redemption. It uses a big fancy word here, propitiation. Payment for sins. And so Jesus, by living a perfect life, gives payment for our sins, but not just that. Jesus, today, right now, is your priest who not only identifies with what you're going through, whatever that temptation is, whether that temptation is growing out of you being hungry, angry, lonely, tired, whether that is slavery to fear of embarrassment or failure, fear of others getting hurt, whether that is, that is slavery to wanting the love of others so much, wherever you are, Jesus understands and is with you. But not only is he with you, but he is your advocate before the Father. You know what Jesus is doing right now? Do you know what the answer to that question? What's Jesus up to in 2018? He is standing at God's side praying for you. And what you're going through. And how you're struggling. And what keeps you up at night. Jesus is praying for those things. So Jesus not only becomes our high priest by paying for our sins on the cross, but because he rose from the dead on the third day, he is still alive, talking to God about you, praying for you. So that our call as we move into this new year, as we move through and finish with Advent, finish with Epiphany, and move into the new year, our call is to live a new life where Jesus is alive right now and praying for you right now and advocating for you right now so that you get to live a life that is not dependent on your performance. See, almost all of our New Year's resolutions are, here's how I am going to perform better. I'm going to do better with these things. And Jesus says, no, listen, I died for that. 
I took the penalty for that. I took the punishment for that. Your acceptance is not based on your performance. And thank God for that, right? Because how many of us could stand? But not only that, but we get to live a life free from fear and worry. Because our life is not under our control. And the one who is in control is Jesus. Who is our advocate. Who is alive. Who is standing at the right hand of God right now praying for you. Which should be something that gives us great hope and great joy moving into the new year. Let's pray.